This call is now being recorded. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. This is a conversation that, believe it or not, ever since I started talking to folks, I've always wanted to have. And not just because you're a child's uh, children's book author, which you are, but you're part of a, a multiracial family. And I wanted maybe to have that sort of a conversation around that um, and what that means in America, even in 2021. Um, which 2021 feels like a fake year because it, in some ways I feel like it's still 2018, uh, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> so, uh, Kristen, um, first of all, um, you first came to my attention because you were a children's book author on, uh, TikTok, I think it was. Um, so my first question, what in the world do you use TikTok for? <laughs> I will tell you, I am one of those people that is way too old for TikTok. <laughs> but um, I found that I connect with people better um, if I post videos about uh, my family or my life, uh, things like that. And it's typically some crazy story about yeah. one of the kids or something they've done. And um, it's easier to reach people that way if they share it or they like it because it's funny. Um, more people will end up seeing it and figure out that yeah. my books are out there. Well, I, I didn't mean like, I didn't mean to scold you. What I meant was um, I'm on, I love TikTok as, as a way to laugh. I mean, there's a lot of funny people on TikTok and they're not all kids. They're not all kids, folks. But I'm just, I do this pretty deep, you know, when I do a podcast about history, it's pretty dense and deep and whatever. And I'm trying to think, like, I see this platform, it's super powerful. I get it. But I'm like, how in the world do I express all this on this episode, on this thing? And I'm competing with people that are hysterical. And when I go on TikTok, all I want to do is laugh. Same, you know, same here. So. <laughs> Yeah. It really cheers you up. Any kind of day I'm having, if I can hop on TikTok and see something uh, funny, it can just change my whole mood by me just laughing out loud at something. Yeah. And, I mean, I've said this a lot, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it right here. We're in a technological revolution, okay? Like, honestly. And we honestly are. And it's just amazing to me how you can just have average people that have millions of followers on anything. That's just incredible. Um, so how did you get the idea to write children's books? Well, my husband and I uh, have three kids, mm -hmm. and I was um, blessed to be able to be pregnant with our first two and carry them. And our third child, we adopted and my husband and I are both Caucasian, and our youngest daughter is biracial. And um, we have a, a bookshelf in our, like, toy room area just chocked full of books. We have so many. And as I was reading to the kids that night, I realized that although we had a ton of books um, featuring different race families, 
we didn't own one book that featured a mixed family like we are. So I started looking online to see if I could fix that and get that in our house. And I, I had a really hard time finding them. Um, at the time there, this was probably 2017, maybe. Um, I just, I couldn't find any. And if I could find them, they were all about adoption. And we, we, we love books on adoption. Um, obviously it gets talked about a lot in our house, but, uh, something else that we need was books that talk about everyday topics and they just feature a multiracial family. So like when you say everyday topics, I'm sorry, when you're talking everyday topics, what, what exactly are you talking about? So in a book that features a mixed family for an everyday topic, I mean, it's not necessarily talking directly about the fact that they're a multiracial family. So um, I have my second and my third book. um, Those two do not discuss the outward appearance of the family that's featured in it at all. It's about siblings and the relationship and the love between siblings. So it could be about school or about um, maybe having a family pet or anything like that and being able to feature a multiracial family in those books in my mind is one of the greatest ways especially at a young age to introduce and normalize um, diversity with kids without having to directly talk about race you know it's funny I don't mean to say funny it's interesting that when I go around out out in my city when I go around I see a lot of like mixed race couples and I'm not even talking about like black and white I'm talking all kinds of combinations Mm -hmm. and you didn't used to see that maybe 20 years ago or, or maybe even earlier than that like you didn't used to see it not as pronounced let's say, right? Right. And I don't know if it's, I mean, you know, love is love. I get it. But it's like it's become more accepting. But yet you still have people that maybe don't accept it as much or whatever. And there's there's a story that I remember from when, like, when I was, like, in ninth grade, which, you know, as far as trees and glaciers, I'm not that old. But, but <laughs> like, you know, like, in the Stone Ages of the 1990s, right? So I'm sitting there in biology class, and I'm learning that uh, mixed-race couples can't have blonde children, okay? Well, I have friends that have mixed-race children that they had, that they're genetically theirs. And those kids are blonde. And I'm like, see how the science, I mean, they didn't even know about the science back then. Right. So, you, you know, like, wow. It wasn't facts they were teaching. Well, it might not have been fact. It might not have been that. It might have just been there wasn't enough data. So I don't That's know. That's true. But it's just amazing to think about. Um, so what are some of the, I guess, some of the realities that you would tell people not in a mixed race uh, family that y'all sort of deal with? <clears throat> um, 
to be honest, I think that uh, at this stage, because I feel like we kind of go in, in stages uh, according to kind of honestly how old our youngest is. So our youngest mm-hmm. is um, biracial where she's um, African-American and Jordanian, which is um, Middle Eastern. Wow. And she is just uh, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your whole life. Um, and so I feel like because she's so young, she's four right now, we haven't necessarily experienced um, a lot of what other families have experienced that maybe have older kids uh, that have darker skin. What we get mostly is um, people want to know where she's from. And um, people very, very often ask if they can touch her hair or they ask about her hair. Um, that's kind of the majority of what we get in terms of out in public. Mm-hmm. I think for us, the most misunderstood category is more the dynamic we have with our adoption as opposed to um, the multiracial family aspect of it at her age, if that makes sense. What do you mean? Okay. What exactly do you mean aspect of our adoption? That's interesting. Yeah. So we have an open adoption with her birth mom and her birth mom's family. Oh. So it's, um, my daughter was born under, um, difficult and complicated circumstances. And, uh, the situation was very, challenging, um, very traumatic and heartbreaking in the very beginning, um, just kind of navigating what was be- what was best for, for our daughter at the time. And we had to fight and forgive, fight hard to forgive and give grace to move forward and be able to have a relationship with her birth mom. And that's, I think, what a lot of people don't understand is, um, like, why we would, why we would choose to, to work that hard at mending that relationship with her. Because legally, we don't have to do one or the other. You, the, the adoptive family is allowed to choose if they want to allow birth family in the child's life or not. Okay. And we chose to. I'm, I'm, it strikes me right this minute that I have a lot of listeners and I'm sort of light on what the terms closed adoption and open adoption actually mean. Sure. So, so I'm sure there's lots of people that don't know. Yeah. No, that's a good question. So, um, a closed adoption is where your adoptive child has, um, no contact, no relationship with their birth family. So they do not have, um, you don't do visits with them, um, you don't get together, you don't do um, like video calls, phone calls, anything like that. It's it's just kind of cut off. Um, an open adoption is where you have somewhat regular communication and regular can mean, you know, once a month or, you know, once a week. It's just dependent on the, the family uh, and also usually includes visitation. So we do a visit with my daughter's birth family um, twice a year, and I speak with her birth mom at least once a month. 
and we do video mm-hmm. calls in between. Um, so we we love having a close relationship with her birth family. It it's important to us, and I think it is the best thing for our daughter to be able to get the best of both instead of one or the other. And in our circumstance, that is um, something that we're able to do. Not everybody has a situation where that's a possibility, but um, but we did. And so that's probably the biggest question we get is, what does that look like and why do you do visits? And why not just, you know, cut that off and just have your own family? Um. So not to be too personal, but why do you do visits and things like that? No, that's that's a great question. Um, we do visits because um, in the very, very beginning, um, we kind of set what our boundaries were. Um, simple things like an example would be, um, you know, we can't, we don't want you to show up at our house unannounced. Um, we gave like a an appropriate way of contact. So, I set up an email in my daughter's name, and that was in the beginning how birth mom could directly contact me. Um, So we wanted to be able to have our privacy and feel safe and comfortable, but still allow her to have a relationship with us, and we kept that at a distance in the very beginning. And um, her birth mom worked really hard to, I mean, show up. She showed up at every visit that we've scheduled. She she loves our daughter. Um, she asks how she's doing. She respects our boundaries. Um, always very loving and kind in her communication. And that's honestly all we ask. And that dynamic of us respecting her by giving it a chance and seeing where it could go and her um, respecting us and and doing what we had asked and communicating with us within that boundary, um, the, those two things put together opened up a, a door for us to, to build off of that relationship. Well, cool. I mean, yeah. I think that's really cool. And um, so, okay, when it came to adoption itself, did you, I mean, I've never adopted a child. I, and I know people who have, and, They talk about how it started off as a foster situation or it Mm -hmm. started off as, um, you know, mostly as a foster situation. So how did it start off with your family? So um, my my mom and my birth father divorced when I was young. And shortly after, he gave up his parental rights to me. So when my mom remarried when I was about nine – that's who I call dad. I mean, he's, that's my dad, you know, there's no other way around it. So I think the first time I told my mom that I was going to adopt a child, I was probably like 12. Um, and I think that was just because I had learned really early on that, that you can have that same love and connection regardless of being blood related or not. I knew, I knew that feeling already. So, that was how it started. And so when I met my husband, um, I had shared what, what I had hoped for in the future in terms of kids. And, um, 
we made a plan to adopt. So when we adopted, we were a waiting family for a domestic adoption. A domestic adoption means that you're adopting within the United States. Okay. So we were intentionally a waiting family. You can also adopt from foster care. And so those are two different, completely different um, processes. Oh, I get but it. Our uh, first process was a domestic adoption. Okay. So let me see if I've got this right. Okay. All right. So if there's like, call it like you, you can basically adopt from the, adopt the child that you have already fostered or you can wait for a child that somebody, that somebody else is fostering or that's in an orphanage or something. Yeah. Do they have, okay, that's another question. Do they even have orphanages still or not? Um, I do not believe that we have them in the United States. I could be wrong. Um, to my yeah. knowledge, everything is within um, the foster care system. In other countries, mm-hmm. children are are living in orphanages where they have, um, like, I think a lot of the times they're called nannies, but they have people that work there that that regularly care for them, and they all live like in a in a building. Here, children live with foster families. And so when we went, we, we, when we wanted to, had to decide how we wanted to go about that process, um, I was really just connected to the, the frustration that so many kids need families. So many kids were in the foster care system and that was heavy on my heart that I felt like we, we should adopt from, like, through the foster care system. However, um, after just learning about, more about it, more about the process, more about the agency and just the foster care system in general, the primary goal of foster care is to reunite families. And so what they, what that point is, is if possible, that parent who has had their rights removed and their child is in foster care, they are given an opportunity to make changes to hopefully get custody of their child back. That is the best case scenario if that dynamic in the home can change. And I knew that going into our process that my goal would not have been to reunite a child that was placed in our home with their parents. My goal is as I wanted to adopt. And so after speaking with um, the caseworker, they, it, was a, it was a combination between us realizing that our intentions weren't lined up with exactly what foster care is meant for and them also saying the reality is, is that we need foster families, but we need foster families that, like, are open to placements that will continue to work with us and work with the parents to hopefully reunite that child. And so it makes it hard if the family is intentionally wanting um, to add to their family, to to grow their family. So that was why we chose domestic adoption instead of a foster care adoption. All right. Does that make sense or did I confuse Uh, you more? No, it makes makes sense (laughs) because, I mean, you know, 
I just didn't know. Like, I just, I knew about it, but I didn't know about it. Like, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know about it. Like, I, I didn't know the specifics. Yeah, and there's a, there are so many families that go into foster care, um, and then they do end up having an opportunity to adopt the child that's been placed in their home. And a lot of them do, and because they love that child and they care for that child. Uh, we just knew that that wasn't our intention and that wasn't our goal. So that was a hard decision to make because I was so, I so very strongly felt like that was what we should do. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it ended up definitely working out the way it was supposed to. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure it did for your family. Um, so was there a moment where the light flipped on and you were like, well, let me write books about this? And what was that moment? Like, were you watching television or were you in a bookstore or what? No, that was um, that was kind of what I mentioned before, where I was realizing that we didn't have any children's books in our home that that had any type of mixed family, even if it didn't look like our exact mix yeah. of of race. But and then looking yeah. online and realizing I couldn't find them very easily. And if I did find them, they were all adoption books. Uh, I just thought, well, I, I guess I could just go for it myself. Um, I actually did not even tell my husband that I submitted a manuscript because that's how far-fetched I felt like it was. I never thought huh. in a million years that I would actually um, be offered a publishing contract because I'm just a small town girl and <laughs> I just didn't well, think that could happen. Well, I'm sure the publisher or the agent or whoever had the same thought because I mean, I don't know how old you are, but this is I am still, in my thirties. Well, right. So what I'm saying is from a historical perspective, you can remember before. Like before you would, yeah. you wouldn't see it. Like you might know two people. Whereas now it's like, you know, a lot of folks are in multiracial, uh, relationships, multiracial families. And you're right. You just don't see a lot of books about it. You don't see a lot of conventional media about it. And like I said earlier, we're, we're all learning how different colors, you know, different genes can make different people in ways nobody was thinking 20, 30 years ago. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that would surprise people, because, I mean, you can go look at, you know, in Central Asia, you can look at these, you know, people with Asian features, and they have red hair. So I don't know why yeah. that would surprise people. But here we are. Um, so how – so your community as a whole – I mean, other than people want to touch her hair, well, what does that feel like as a parent? Um, I mean, it's kind of a a mixed feeling. It's um, I I definitely feel very welcomed and supported. Like when I'm out and about in public, I don't I don't feel that we are getting any weird looks. Um, we don't get any rude or just dis- disrespectful comments. 
Um, nothing like that happens. But uh, I also have many, many moments where I I get nervous about the difference between her being this, you know, adorable little four-year-old and the days where she's a teenager. And she's, you know, not always going to make the right choice and she might screw up sometime and what that might look like for her versus oh yeah uh, versus my other daughter. Mhm. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I I had a I had a person on my podcast that talking about something else. But, you know, they were in a multi-racial relationship and they were talking about how, you know, they were white and they were saying, I, I wish that my kid would look like me. If if we have kids, I wish my kids would look like me. You know, I'm like, wow, that's pretty incredible. And I've had other people in multiracial relationships tell me that they have to watch the kid in the store, like when they go to the store. Not because they think the kid will steal something, but because they're afraid that people will think the kid will steal something. Right. And, and that's a very real yeah. it's a, I think we've come so far but I also I also very much believe that we also still have so far to go. Yeah. And these things are um they're a reality. I am currently uh in college. I kind mm. of went back to school um and I am going into the criminal justice field for juvenile mm. services, um, and even just the actual statistics about um, minority races versus the Caucasian group in terms mm. of juvenile detentions and adult prisons. I mean, you can't argue with these actual numbers. Based, you know, it, yeah. it's a, it, no. it is... It is a real problem. So when people say that there's not a racial issue, there isn't in many of us. We don't, there's a lot of us that don't feel any differently towards anyone, but there is still a big issue, especially in our legal system. And that's where I worry for, for my youngest. I get, yeah, get nervous. I, get it. I mean, when I was studying um, education, you know, the statistics are, are stark or, very stark. Um, but, I mean, just even uh, leaving that aside, just even as a podcaster, even if I didn't know anything other than just being a podcaster and talking to people, you know, I'll get people. Uh, I had a, a young lady on my show who was basically, you know, basically she had to leave her country or take political asylum. And she was more willing to talk to me about the realities of living in her country than people willing to talk to me about being in a multiracial relationship or a multiracial family or whatever. That, to yeah. me, is just instructive as all get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Honestly. When you had reached out to me and said, like, I've been wanting to have this conversation. I'm just looking for someone to have the conversation with. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> I get that because it's a really hard conversation to have. And I've had to work a lot at getting comfortable with it because yeah. 
I want my kids to be comfortable asking questions so that they can learn positive things and learn the right things about people. And you you can't learn about things if you don't ask. And they're not asking because they're, I mean, they're not asking in a negative way. Kids, when they ask questions about someone who looks different from them in any way, shape, or form, they're genuinely just curious. And that's yeah. a conversation that you have to kind of be comfortable with. And so uh, I, I feel that a lot. It's, it's definitely one of those topics where you, t- you take a deep breath and you just want to make sure that you come across in what you're saying the way that you want to. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, why do you think it's so hard to have this conversation in 2021? I mean, why? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I, I think just for me, my opinion, I think it's, I think for me, my biggest fear is that because I am white and Mm. like, I can't possibly understand how someone in a different race feels in the term in terms of talking about race and i i know that i view them this person in front of me in such a positive light because i'm viewing them based on their character but if they don't know me i'm so afraid of saying something innocent in my mind but maybe saying it the wrong way and it coming across as offensive because of my lack of understanding because maybe I didn't know that what I was saying was hurtful. Um, one mm-hmm. of the, one of the biggest ways that I've kind of had to get comfortable just with this whole topic is learning about my daughter's hair. Um, I, I went to hair school straight out of high school and thankfully where I went to school was a much more diverse population. So I was able to, to learn how to do many different types of hair, including African-American hair. My daughter being biracial. So that's, I'm sorry, not to be weird, but that's the hair that your daughter's hair presents as, is African-American, because you said it was Jordanian too. Yeah, so she, so, all right. that, that's a great question. So she, she has the tight curls and her hair is this gorgeous jet black color, mm-hmm. but the texture is different. Um, it's a lot softer texture, and so the products meant for African-American hair don't work for her because they're too heavy. But also, at the same time, a lot of the biracial hair products are too light. And so it's a very complicated trial and error process that we go through with trying hair I products. Ima- I would imagine that would be a problem. It is, and it's hard I- because... I don't even know what to try. And so I have yeah. had many times where I am that, I feel like a creep at first, but I will see if I'm in the hair section and I'm looking at products mm. and there is mm. like a, a African-American woman or someone of color who comes up and. Oh, I bet that's a hard conversation. Products. Yeah. I will say, Hey, um, <laughs> I, would it be okay with you if I ask you some questions and then I give a quick rundown, like, my daughter is is biracial, this is her race, and I'm trying to learn more about her hair. And I have never once had someone be offended. I have always had them 
very lovingly, like, mm-hmm. take those extra, like, five, ten minutes and help educate me on her hair. But I was terrified the first time I had to ask because I didn't know yeah. if that was going to be – I didn't know if that was going to be something that was bad or or if it was okay that I was asking. Right. Um, and so that was kind of my first step in getting really comfortable talking with uh, outside of my own family about the mm-hmm. topic of race and, and anything that came with it. Well, I mean, if you think about it, and I suppose all this uh, multi, all these multiracial families and relationships kind of forces us to, to notice this, right? Hair itself, head hair itself is, is a very intimate topic in families in general. And yeah. I, I don't think people realize that until now. Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so it's definitely um, a learning curve. It's yeah, it's not just learning it, but wanting. I have to learn how to effectively care for her hair, so that I can teach her how to effectively care for her hair. Like that's my job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, wow. getting getting <laughs> credible information from other people that that know what they're doing because they're doing their own hair. They know how to care for it them allowing me to kind of pick their brain and taking the time to educate me always makes me feel yeah. so good. I'm always so grateful. Yeah. And I, I guess like being as you're in a small town, I mean, I guess the selection of hair care products might not be as much or I don't know. Depending on where you go, um, it's better than you would think, really. Uh they've got a mm-hmm. they've got a lot more They've got a lot, there's a lot bigger section, but for like natural hair, natural curly hair, but um, it is still just mind-blowing because you have like this huge section all the way down from the beginning to the end of the aisle, sometimes on both sides of the aisle, and it's hair, it's shampoos, it's conditioners. Mm. I mean, I could go pick from like 200 kinds of hair products at our local store. And then you go, and even though the section has grown a lot and there's many more options, you go and it's like a, a really small little section then for for textured hair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The difference yeah. is... Huh. <laughs> have you tried, I mean, I guess you have. Have you tried the Internet or, I mean... Yeah, they. you can definitely find a lot of videos. Like I said, when because my daughter is her her ethnicity is so unique. Mm-hmm. I still have to do the trial and error because I have to take like two different videos and maybe combine them. Um, but one place, wow. one place yeah. I had really great luck and that this is by no means an advertisement, but Sally's beauty store, mm-hmm. they are always so helpful. I mean, they will go through like five different types of products that I could try and, you know, come back if it doesn't work. We'll answer questions. So I really like going to Sally's because there are way more options than the typical, like, grocery store. Mm-hmm. And they're very helpful. I, I so, bet. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, um, television, entertainment, and mass media and that, I mean, do you see, like, because I definitely see it where the commercials even 
like, I don't know if it's like, cause I'm a cord cutter. So like a lot of my commercials are probably geolocated, but a lot of my commercials, a lot of my commercials now are, are multiracial families and stuff. Do you, do you see that too? Or is that, is that just me? No, I, I do see that. I love every yeah, time I yeah. see that. Especially my favorite is when the commercial, I mean, I, I love when the commercial has nothing to do with the fact that, that the actors in the commercial are, are two different races. Mm-hmm. I like when it has nothing to do with that because it's just, that should have, yeah. this should have happened so long ago. One of the biggest things I've seen is, um, I am one of those people that really loves watching Hallmark movies. I've, Always, okay. always, always loved them. Um, but even in Hallmark movies, one of the frustrations for me is when it, my, when my, what I like to call my white bubble finally popped and I was in a situation that made me open my eyes to the reality of the lack of diversity in things like our, you know, commercials and books and all that, then I couldn't, couldn't not see it. And this year is the first year that I've actually watched Hallmark movies where they have mixed couples in the movies. Huh. Well, let me, let me drill in on that. Like, when did your white bubble, your quote, white bubble, as you call it, when did that pop? That moment for me was, was definitely the, a mixture of the books, but also the, I was at, I was at our, uh, our kitchen table and I was looking through a magazine and it's a magazine that my mom always had come to our house when I was younger. It's just, um, like a little trinket type store it has little decorations and all kinds of stuff. And they had a baby doll that you could purchase and they had two choices on there. You could choose a white baby with blonde hair or a white baby with brown hair. Oh. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, my goodness. It's not that my my two daughters can't have different race dolls because that is, I mean, they definitely both, my, yeah. my Caucasian daughter and my biracial daughter, both have dolls of all different skin tones, but... If I wanted to get them both that doll that resembled them, I couldn't because I only had the choice between a brown-haired white doll or a blonde-haired white doll. And that was the moment for me, for some reason, that it just hit. Like, it's not even an option. Yeah. Why is that? Right. And I think, well, maybe some of it's logistics, but, you know, supply chain, as we've all become... You know, 2021, we've all, we've all learned things about supply chains we didn't all used to know. At least I certainly have. But yeah. you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You like know. white dolls have always been available since the beginning. But mm-hmm. just in the past, like, what, 10 years? Uh, now you, there's more of, um, there's more skin tone options within like the aisle where all of the mm-hmm. dolls and and um Barbies and stuff yeah. where they're all located and and you think about it, well why is that? Because it's not like African American 
people like haven't been around just as long. It just blows my mind. Like why in the world was it not available before? I think because, and I think this is one of the big changes in our society, right? I don't think that was the change. I think the change was that people became more aware of it. They became more conscious of it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think, I think maybe, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think maybe yeah. white people came, became more aware, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, I'm sure and that's that what that was I mean. Nothing new to someone who yeah. had darker skin. And it, it's a shame. It's, it's sort of a shame that it had to be, you know, like right. that. But, you know, um, but it's like, I don't know, I've just noticed in the last few years, this whole, um, and not just about that, but other stuff too, like people are becoming more aware of the world around them. And I think some of that has to do with the internet. I think a lot of it surely does. Oh right? yeah, I agree. You know, because I mean, the thing about, like we were talking about with TikTok, the thing about um, like TikTok or YouTube or or really standing in that stuff is okay yes there is a gatekeeper like google is the gatekeeper for for youtube for sure um and if you want to think that they're not all you have to do is try to talk about covid right <laughs> right <laughs> for for example um um but on the other hand like you see a lot more people like a lot more voices on TikTok, a lot more um, stuff on YouTube than you you never would have seen. And the thing I say all the time is, if I could go back in time and go to these, you know, television production meetings I used to sit in, and be like, hey, you know the guy, you know the kids out there, and how they're talking about this thing called the internet. In 20 years, people are going to be watching cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> And people are going to be watching this guy on YouTube cook in his dishwasher, and it's going to have millions of views, people, millions of views, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, because before we couldn't connect with we couldn't connect with other people exactly. that easily. I mean, I love seeing videos. Um, there's one. There's one woman, I, and I have no idea what her name is, but I follow her on TikTok, and she is she lives in, I believe she lives in Africa, but she's posting videos that even just the simplicity of seeing, like, her surroundings and just how beautiful it is because that's not something we see all the time here in the United States, being able to to see other people in, in what, you know, what kind of makes them unique. I yeah. love that about social media, that you or can like connect with people that way. Yeah, and like I, there's a guy on TikTok. He works in the trades somewhere, like in the south. Um, but in the before times, like they, he just would have been the guy that in the, on the guy on the job that was funny that people laughed at. Now this this guy literally has millions of of followers or whatever they call it on TikTok, and yeah. he's literally hysterical. It's just. When I see his videos come up, I have to hold my phone better because I'm going to drop <laughs> my phone because he's funny. And this guy is straight up hilarious. 
Oh, those are the those are the best the best videos where you just can't even contain it. Yeah, but I just love that, I, and I love even the serious stuff because you're seeing like, oh God, this is how they're doing it in this place. Oh Jesus, that's terrible. Yeah, you know, or something like that. You know, like, come on. There's but something see, about being yeah. able to get to know someone in a a more personal level, like being able to watch them talk in a video mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they're showing you something. And I think the more people are able to connect with each other on just those simple things, the the less we seem right. different. I think that's part of it, too, is you're connecting with them on all these different levels, and you're not even thinking about the fact that, you know, they have different different type of hair than you or different skin tone or anything like that. You're just connecting with them over them falling down a hill or whatever it may be. Or even like, I mean, even just with me, like I had my opinion about the pandemic and how, what I thought should happen with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But then I started talking to people like that I never would have encountered before. And I started, well, I shouldn't say talk. I should say listening. I started listening to what they were saying, and I started thinking, you know, if you think about it, this guy that has a storefront in Oklahoma has a point. And his point is that the government's going to come to bail out whatever, but they're not going to come to bail out him. Right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So he needs to stay open. Right. I get it. I mean, I, I would not have thought, I'll, I'll cheerfully admit that I would not have come to that realization had I not spoken to so many people all over the place. Or like when you talk to, like, okay, when people say we, we want to have more uh, bigger or more stringent COVID restrictions. Okay, sure. Go talk to people in Asia. Right. Okay. <laughs> Go talk to somebody in Asia, and I'm not even talking about China, about what a real stringent COVID restriction actually looks like, and right. think to yourself, is that actually what we want? Right. <laughs> you know? I think that that's one of that brings up one of the greatest points that I always say is, the more you listen to other people, the more you listen to other people's thoughts and feelings and the more you learn about other people the less black and white the world becomes you might think very very strongly on something but the more you listen the more you might at least maybe not change your mind but at least understand where someone else is coming from well no absolutely well see I, i would push back on that because I have changed my mind. Like, I believe COVID is serious, and I believe you need to mask up and everything, but I also don't think the government can or even should close these businesses. Right. (laughs) You know, because... But that's the great thing about, yeah, exactly, listening to other people. Right, exactly. I'm assuming you kind of, your, your mind opened up a bit more because you spoke with other people and listened to... Their stories, right? I listened to what they were telling me and how, yeah, like, and it wasn't one person; it was all, it was all of them. 
Yeah. It wasn't ever one person's story. It was like, and then when you talk to folks in Asia, when you stay up and you talk to people in Asia, because when you're in, when you're on this podcast and top 10% in the world or something like that, people want to talk to you. People want you on the show. So I'm on the show in Asia and the guy tells me, he's like, yeah, I haven't left my house in months except to go eat and I have a, or go get food and I have like a, a pre-assigned time to go do that. And I'm like, oh, that's not what we need. <laughs> wow. See, I yeah, I did not even know that. Yeah. They had like a pre-assigned time that he could leave the house to do anything. And anything, all it was was get food. And if you wanted, you know, I don't even think they could. I don't remember, but it was like, Jesus, that's not great. That's not okay. Right. You know. <laughs> no, I, I hear you, you on you know, that. I'm you kind know. of where most people you you've said you you encounter most people where they're like, ooh, you want to talk about race? Like, and they kind of that's where they get a little skittish. I'm like that in terms of like politics and and COVID because I'm I'm more like yes, I have thoughts and feelings on it, but I'm still at this stage where I I also believe in fully respecting everyone's own thoughts and feelings on it. I'm kind of like, this is how I think and feel, but I'm not going to shove it on you. Like, if you choose something different, I can still love you and respect you as a person. But that conversation is so hard for me. It's uncomfortable. See, I think, I mean, I think the thing with COVID is that, so the pandemic before, if you went, you know, if you want to call it a pandemic, which it was, but the pandemic before was AIDS and the world adjusted to AIDS. Right. Right. So some people probably literally thought, well, the world will just adjust to, to COVID. And when you see, like when I see the published, like the death rate of like 2% or whatever it is, I don't believe that death rate. I think it's higher than that. I, you know, because I've talked to so many people that have experienced, well, my neighbor had a heart attack or, or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, I think, and you know, I did a deep dive into the Spanish flu and I learned how you could literally die of the Spanish flu, but not be diagnosed of it. So I think that's going on. But as far as like, do I, th and I think, you know, some of the libertarian people I think I've talked to, have a point, and their point is that the, the different governments are using this to basically make people afraid, you know. But yeah. anyway, I and whether you, whether you want to argue if that's happening in this country or not, that's another discussion. But it is certainly happening <laughs> in Asia, you know. It's right. definitely happening in Asia. Um. But anyway, so uh Kristen, um what has the reception of your books been about been like? What a, well like how has it been received? Yeah, how have they been received? Yeah. Um I think it's been received really well. Um I was really nervous uh to put out my first book, which is called Mommy and Me Don't Match, because that was my first book which is just scary the thought it like launched 
And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my goodness, people are going to be actually reading my thoughts and, like, what I wrote. I had, like, a panic moment, which was, like, far too late to be having that. But it went really well. Um, but I wasn't sure how it would be received talking about talking about race. But the difference is, is I, I talk about how the mom and the daughter in the book, which resembled me and my daughter, it was a story that I thought of her as I wrote it. Um, it was talking about recognizing and saying those differences are there because my daughter and I don't look anything alike. They, we have a ton of differences outside of just even our skin tone. We have a lot of differences, but I love that about her. So acknowledging, yeah, you're right. We don't match on the outside, but then celebrating those parts about me and those parts about her that are both wonderful, even though they're not the same, because they can both be great. And just recognizing the simplicity that in the inside, that my daughter and I are exactly the same. Our hearts are still beating the same. That's we cool. That's have really a cool. different outer shell. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, Kristen, um, you had somewhere to be, and I want to honor that. So um, is there anything else you want to tell the universe before we disconnect the recording? Not that I can think of. I think we got to chat about a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I am really thankful that you reached out and asked me to have this conversation because these conversations can be uncomfortable and tricky, but um, they're really great to talk about. And so I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and feelings on it and yeah. chatting with me about it. Well, like I told you, I think in one of my emails or something, um, when I accidentally found you on TikTok, I was like, oh, my God, I need to I need to figure out a way to talk to this lady. I, mean, <laughs> I have to do that. Honest God, let's, is she on Instagram? Please, Jesus, be on Instagram. <laughs> yes, thank you, God. <laughs> well, I'm really glad because I'm not – that that TikTok about that funny story about my – my daughter because she's definitely my wild one and keeps me on my toes that thing blew up Um, but Mm. since then I've been trying to kind of repost the videos about where I will talk about the the beauty of diversity and how it's a positive thing and I try to like put those on there because although I love that people are enjoying my story about my daughter because it's one of those that makes you laugh I I would love to see one of those other videos about how mind-boggling even racism is. It just makes no sense to me at all. Um, a video like that blow up and everybody be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like someone was born with this skin and we're treating them different. That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, but I'm really I, I... glad that you did find me. And um, hopefully uh, some people will will be able to connect with this and maybe say, hey, I know someone that needs those books. Or uh, honestly, I always tell non-mixed families, especially my second and third book, Dear Sister and Teach Me to Be Big. It doesn't talk yeah. about race, but it features mixed families. And that is mm. such a great way to plant that seed of mm. positivity around diversity in your kids without having to have those 
direct conversations with like a, a really young kid. So hopefully more people will know that these are available to them. I really hope so. Um, well, thank you, Kristen, very much. And if you could just email me uh, whatever you want me to stick in the description, I'll, I'll happily do that. Um, but hang on the line for me for just a second, okay? Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody.